Genesis chapter 39. Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers, hauled off down to Egypt, sold and bought by Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And Joseph has uh, plugged away and served his master, and the Lord has blessed him. And it looks as though things are going pretty well for Joseph. But of course, in this famous story, we, uh, we know about the test that comes to Joseph within Potiphar's household, and that's what we're going to think about today. Uh, Genesis 39, uh, before I read, why don't we pause once again and pray briefly and ask for the Lord to help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Once again, as we uh, study a book in the Old Testament, we thank you uh, for how much it has to teach us about the Lord Jesus and how much it has to teach us as followers of Christ. I pray that today uh, we would see Jesus Christ as who he is, the Son of God who has come as one of us and has been tested and proved to be the perfect Savior of sinners. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and if there are any here who have yet to see the, the beauty and the glory and the power of Jesus, we pray that you would open their eyes to spiritual reality today. Uh, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Genesis 39, let's hear God's word together. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, now the author introduces the twist in the story Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw 
that he had left his garments in her hand. See the quick thinking of her here. As soon as she saw that he had left his garments in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. Incidentally, that's a minor punishment for the crime. The punishment should have been death, which leaves open the thought that perhaps Potiphar didn't really trust what his wife was saying. The place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Well, there's just one single lesson that I want us to try to learn from this passage today, and it's this, that God tests the man he uses. Uh, The Christian life that we are called to will often involve uh, suffering and setbacks, hardship and injustice, trials and temptation. These are normal parts of the Christian life. Not signs that God has forsaken us or abandoned us. They're not necessarily signs that we have failed to walk in God's way. Uh, Suffering and setbacks, hardship and injustice, trial and temptation are normal parts of the Christian life. God tests the man he uses. I think it's absolutely crucial that we learn this lesson from this passage because failure to learn it may very well result in in false expectations about the Christian life. It may lead us to think in times of difficulty that that God has, has forsaken us or even worse, turned against us. And today we're going to try to learn this lesson from Joseph. He is the man God tests And he is the man God uses. But this lesson finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is the man God tests and the man God uses to bring blessing to the peoples of the earth. And so as we we consider this story, we need to see that it is establishing a, a pattern in the Bible, a pattern seen preeminently in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's actually the main reason why this story is here. Uh, This story is not here first and foremost to teach us how to resist sexual temptation, though it will certainly do that. 
this story is here first and foremost to teach us about the man God tests, the man God proves, and then the man God uses to bring blessing to the peoples of this earth. So it wouldn't be right for us to simply consider Joseph today and then to directly take it to me or to you. But rather, we need to see how this story is leading us to the the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we will be ready to see how it teaches us as people who are connected, who belong to Jesus by faith. So this story, it's about the man God tests, the man God proves, the man God uses to bring blessing to others. And preeminently, that man is none other than Jesus. But at the same time, then we also want to see as those called into union and communion with Christ, as those whose lives, men and women whose lives are now patterned after that of the Lord Jesus Christ, as those who walk in his footsteps, this pattern will also be seen in our lives that God tests the men and women he uses to bring blessing to others that resounds to his own glory. Uh, Genesis 39, it shows us that Joseph is God's man. That was already made clear back in chapter uh, 37 with the prophetic dreams that Joseph had and I think somewhat foolishly shared with his own brothers. But now in this chapter, you see it being emphasized in another way. Over and over again, we're, we're, we're told the Lord was with Joseph. It, it begins that way and it ends that way. You take, take a look at uh, verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And then you jump to the end in verse 21 with Joseph now in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph is God's man, and therefore Joseph is the man God tests and the man he will use. Now, I think, I think one of the things this story does is it challenges, perhaps it challenges us to rethink what it means to say that the Lord is with us. And we, we would like to think that that will mean life will be smooth sailing, that everything will be easy, you know, the bills will be paid, job will be secure, family life will be great, relationships will be intact, in, in or, or whatever. But here's, here's Joseph. We're told again and again Only in this chapter, actually, notice back in chapter 37, nothing is said about God's involvement. And for the most part, moving forward in the rest of this narrative, God is certainly at work, but he's left out of the storytelling. So this particular portion of the Joseph narrative is is trying to tell us something that we need to hold on to. In the midst of all of this, God is with Joseph showing him his steadfast love. And here's Joseph, who's been sold into slavery by his own brothers, who in this story will be falsely accused of sexual assault and then thrown in prison and then forgotten. And we're told that the Lord was with Joseph, showing Joseph steadfast love. I think one of the the lessons here for us 
is to realize that we, we should not base our sense of God's presence and his love for us merely on our immediate circumstances. It will actually take years, dear friends, years before Joseph even begins to see a little bit of what God is doing in and through him. And of course, from our perspective, we can see even more so what God was doing in and through Joseph's life and experience. So what do we make? This story raises this question. What do we make of the trials and the hardship and the suffering and the temptation that Joseph experiences and yet at the same time being told the Lord was with him, that Joseph was experiencing the favor and steadfast love of God? Is there, is there a key in scripture that would help us unlock that? would help us understand how, how, we are, how we are meant to understand this story. There, I think, is in Psalm 105. Psalm 105 verses uh, 16 through 19 speak about Joseph's experience. And just listen to, to these words. It says, When God summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron, until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Here's how I think we should understand what's going on in Joseph's life. As Joseph was sold as a slave, until the, the word of the Lord was fulfilled regarding his brothers coming and bowing down to him one day, in the meantime, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. The Lord tested Joseph. And we need to make sure we understand that word. It doesn't mean that God was provoking Joseph, saying, Aha! I can't wait till you fail. Instead, this is, this is a word that comes from the realm of, uh, of metalworking, of, uh, of a refiner's fire. And, and in this sense, then, it, ha it has the sense of God demonstrating that what is in the one he tests is, in fact, genuine and, and real. Uh, one commentary I, I, I looked at on Psalm 105 said something along the lines of, you know, a, a copper coin with a thin silver covering put in the fire. The silver will, will melt away and reveal the base metal. But a, a pure silver coin put in the fire will only blaze a bright, shining color. Something along those lines. Here's, here's then how we are meant to understand the, what's going on in Joseph's life. He is being tested by the Lord to prove that by grace... Joseph has grown beyond the arrogant deficiencies of his youth and that his trust and reliance upon the Lord are true, not fake. And it's this man, it's this man that God will one day use to, humanly speaking, bring salvation to his family and the people of Egypt. So you see, Joseph is in the Bible, I think, to, to teach us that there is a man that God uses to rescue his people. 
And now we're learning something about that man that God will use to rescue his people. That man will be tested and proved by God to be perfectly fitted to be the savior of his own people. His own people who, by the way, wanted to kill him. You see what God God is establishing in this first book of the Bible, beginning to teach his people about the way of salvation. So testing Testing in Joseph's life is, I think, seen here in in two forms. First, in the God-ordained circumstances of his life, and then secondly, in the intense sexual temptation that he faces. Okay, so the big lesson, God tests the man he uses, and the test comes to Joseph in two forms. Let's think about the first one here for a moment. First, the God-ordained circumstances of life. The God-ordained circumstances of life find the the man or woman of God being tested. So so God brings testing through the divinely appointed circumstances of of your life and and my life. And to see how uh, Moses is teaching this in this story, it's interesting to see the contrast between Judah. You remember Judah in chapter 38, which we looked at together a couple of weeks ago, and now Joseph here in chapter 39. You remember, Judah willingly, knowingly, turned his back on the covenant people, turned, we're we're told he went down to uh, Hira the Adolamite, joined himself to the covenant, uh, sorry, the Canaanite people. He assimilated himself with Canaanite culture. He willingly did that. On the other hand, Joseph involuntarily, unwillingly was sold into slavery and hauled off to Egypt. So there's this deliberate contrast between the two, and it raises this question. Okay, so how did Joseph get down to Egypt? You see, from one perspective, it was the result of the the wicked actions of his own brothers, But on the other hand, from another perspective, Joseph got to Egypt by the sending of God. That's what Psalm 105 says, that God sent a man ahead of them. The selling of Joseph was the sending of God. Now, of course, the brothers, as morally responsible Agents are completely responsible for their wicked actions, but you see, these are the God-ordained circumstances in Joseph's life. And so we're, we're being taught a vital lesson, yes, about divine sovereignty and human responsibility, which we'll save for future chapters here in Genesis, but we're being taught a vital lesson today about the man God uses. He tests the man he uses by bringing him through circumstances which he ordained. And and this lesson, it's seen again and again throughout the Old Testament until it finds its perfect fulfillment in the life and ministry of Jesus. Just this story in Genesis was written and being told to, to the Israelites in the wilderness as they made their way to the promised land. And on that journey, God tested his people uh, corporately in order to demonstrate that they were trusting in his word of promise. Now, of course, 
the refining fire revealed their faithlessness. It revealed their, uh, their lack of trust in the Lord. Another part of scripture, we, we read about Job when Satan intended to bring about the downfall of Job. God intended those very same circumstances to be the means of proving that what was in Job by God's grace was indeed the real thing. And again and again, you read uh, you know, uh, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and these accounts of the kings of Israel. And again and again, systematically, you see these kings failing when they were tested by the Lord. Until then, we, of course, we get to the New Testament, and, and we, meet, we meet a man who, in the midst of trials, in the midst of the most intense temptation any human being has ever experienced in the history of the world. A man who walked by faith, not by sight. The very beginning of his ministry, the, the Lord Jesus was, uh, after his baptism, led, actually Marx says, driven into the wilderness to to face the temptations of the evil one, and Jesus clung fast to the word of his heavenly Father. Temptation came to Jesus through the apostle Peter, suggesting that he could accomplish God's purposes without without the suffering. And Jesus immediately rebuked Peter because he he heard in Peter's voice the voice of the evil one, tempting him. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, these are just examples of his entire life. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as the full horror of what it would mean for him to become the sin bearer of God's people, Jesus willingly submitted himself to the plan of his heavenly Father. He obeyed even to the point of death. On a cross, he trusted in the Lord and was proved to be the man of God's own choosing. So, one of the things I want you to understand, dear friends, as we look at this story in Genesis 39, it is absolutely vital that we first of all see that this story is given by God to point us to Christ, lest we despair. Because if you think this story is saying to you, Apart from Jesus, be like Joseph. You are going to despair. And if you're honest with yourself, you and I can think of times when we have, we have been tested like the Israelites. The refiner's fire and what in fact has been exposed is faithlessness and, and weak faith. But you see, here's the hope of this passage. It finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus, because in him we see a man proved perfect by God, perfectly suited to be the man to bring salvation to unworthy sinners like you and me. But in this story, we are also meant to see that this is a picture of the Christian life. That this is a description of the life of those who faithfully follow Jesus. The New Testament promises it. James James says that you will meet various trials so that the testing of your faith might prove to be genuine. (coughs) Testing is attributed to God 
with its purpose being to authenticate real uh, vital faith. But the temptation is the result, as we see in this story, is the result of the wickedness of others. But we need to understand, these are God-ordained circumstances, completely under God's control, in order to demonstrate that who and what God has made Joseph to be is in fact real. And so, uh, in the testing, friends, as we, as we turn to, to Jesus and, and look to him as the man who has been tested and proven to be the perfect savior of sinners, as we look to him, we, we find ourselves cleansed and we find ourselves strengthened to, like Joseph, as we follow Christ, resist the temptations of the evil one and find the refining fires of, of our God revealing his work of grace in us. Now, this testing, friends, it can come in many, many different forms. A husband or wife who unexpectedly loses uh, their spouse, God tests the one he uses. Believers unexpectedly struck by cancer. A couple unable to have children. Uh, another couple who have children and then their children do not way, walk in the way that they had hoped for. A believer who seeks to faithfully serve the Lord in their vocation and it just seems like it never works out. Things never pan out for them. Life is a constant struggle. We go on and on and on with examples of the kind of testing that God ordains in our lives and our circumstances. So remember Joseph, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and in the time of testing, remember that Joseph points us to the fact that there is one who has been tested and proven perfect by God to be the savior of his people. And as we, as we look to him, remember the, remember the exhortation of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, for, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you might not grow weary. And so that we are able to claim this promise that we have a great high priest who is like us in every way yet without sin and is able to strengthen us in our weakness. So God, God tests and, and, and proves through the ordained circumstances of life, preeminently in Jesus, but also in the lives of those who belong to Jesus. But secondly, notice here that this, this testing comes to Joseph in the form of acute sexual temptation. Now, Joseph's temptation does not find its origin in God, but it is nevertheless used by God to test Joseph and prove what is real in his life. Uh, Joseph, we're told, was, uh, <coughs> well, good-looking, and Potiphar's wife took notice. Verse 6 says, uh, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Right? He, he, was, he was built, 
and, and he had the looks to go with it. And Potiphar's wife took notice. Her eyes uh, came upon Joseph. Incidentally, that's often how sexual temptation occurs. She saw him. She desired him. And then she was willing to do whatever it would take to satisfy the desires of her heart. And notice that she is, uh, she's persistent, she's proactive, and she is uh, persuasive. Uh, she's persistent. Verse 10 tells us that uh, this was something that she attempted day after day. Imagine that. This, this wasn't a one-time deal. This was something that she persisted in. She was proactive. She, uh, she, didn't, um, she didn't start out with subtlety, did she? she? She started out with the direct approach, saying, Joseph, come lie with me. But she was also persuasive, because when the direct approach didn't work, we're, we're told that uh, uh, in verse, the second part of verse 10, Joseph would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. It's saying he, he refused whenever she demanded sex, but he also rejected her, her more subtle attempts to get Joseph into bed. Joseph, why don't you come and spend some time with me? You work so hard all the time. Why don't you come and relax for a little while? Put your feet up. And then finally, she sees a perfect opportunity. I'm told she had Joseph alone in the house and but before that, let me, let me say, I think one of the things we, we need to recognize that behind her, her statement, come lie with me, it's not an invitation, it's actually a command. And I think lying behind that is a subtle threat. You know, Joseph, you're, you're a slave. <laughs> My husband purchased you. I, I'm, a, I'm a woman of status, a woman of power, and if you don't do what I say, I will ruin you. I think that's actually what she was communicating in, in that command. But here she sees the perfect opportunity. It's Joseph alone in the house. You know, it can be our little, our little secret. Nobody needs to know. And she offered him pleasure. And you imagine how, how intense this Temptation must have been for Joseph. Here is a man who has suffered tremendously at the hands of his own brothers, hauled off to a foreign land where now he's miles and miles and miles away from the covenant people of God. He's a slave in Egypt. And now here's this beautiful woman. How many men of power marry unattractive women? safe to assume, I think, Potiphar's wife was a beautiful woman. And she's offering herself to Joseph. Do you sense how intense the temptation must have been? Day after day. And she offered him pleasure, but in fact, what she really offered Joseph was destruction. This is, this is how it is with sexual temptations. It, it offers pleasure, but in reality, it delivers destruction. This woman was prepared to destroy Joseph. She was prepared to destroy her own marriage. 
She was prepared to destroy the trust that had developed between uh, Potiphar and Joseph. She was willing to destroy all of this in order to obtain the desire of her sinful heart. And so I want to make sure, make sure we get this. Because this is, this is how sexual temptation works. It promises pleasure, but it delivers destruction. It is the fast track to death and destruction. But you see, what we need to have riveted into our minds so that it becomes an instinctual response on our part. It, it, we, don't, we don't often see that, do we? When the moment of temptation comes. All we see is the opportunity and the pleasure held out before us. And we need to have it ingrained in our minds that in fact, the evil one is here. And, and the evil one is not offering pleasure He's offering destruction. He's, that's what this delivers. And so God, God tests the man he uses. The temptation itself is not from God. It is, it is the work of the evil one. But God exposes Joseph to this temptation in order to test and prove his man. And my friends, as Christians, we will find ourselves in the midst of such tests. And the reality is, uh, put it this way, dead, dead fish float downstream and it's the living ones who swim against the current. And so the test comes through sexual temptation and look at how Joseph is proven to be God's man here. Very quickly, first, Joseph immediately rejects her advancements. She says to him, lie with me. And the immediate response in Hebrew is he refused. There's no pondering the possibilities. There's no toying with temptation. There is immediate, outright, direct rejection. And then secondly, Joseph reminds himself and Potiphar's wife of the goodness of his master. He's, he's pleading with her. He's appealing to her conscience. And, and he says to her, your, your husband has entrusted me with everything. There's, there's only one thing he has put off limits, and that's you. He, he's saying to her, I became a servant, and because the Lord has blessed my work and my service to your husband, I'm now in a position where, where Potiphar has said, everything I have is yours, Joseph, except my wife. And if you read Genesis closely, I don't, I'm not sure it comes out as clearly in our translations, but there are clearly echoes in this story of the garden. The voice of the serpent is found in this passage, dear friends. In the, the voice of Potiphar's wife. Do you remember in the, in the garden of Eden, the tempter came and said, doesn't, doesn't God want you to have freedom? Doesn't God want you to enjoy yourself? Why would he withhold this one thing from you? Why would he not want you to eat of this one tree? And you see, they needed to have it riveted into their minds. Our God and master has given us everything in the garden and there's only this one thing he has put off limits. And therefore we enjoy the good gifts of 
our master, and that strengthens us to resist temptation. But you see, this is what happens with, with temptation. The eyes are drawn to the one thing that is put off limits. And we start to forget the, the riches and the kindness and the generosity shown to us by our master. You see, Joseph, Joseph said what Adam and Eve should have said in the garden. God had said, There's, here's this entire garden. It's all yours. Exercise dominion over it. Enjoy it. But there's just this one tree in the garden that I am placing off limits as a test. And you see, the lesson is that when you and I are being tempted, you have to remember that God in the gospel has already given you something infinitely better than what you would gain by giving into that temptation. It's because of the generosity of your master. Here's the third thing. Joseph, notice Joseph relies on his relationship with God to resist this temptation. She wanted Joseph to think, we're all alone here. No one, no one needs to know about this. And in Joseph's mind, he's thinking no one except God. How can I commit this sin, not only against your husband, but how can I commit this great wickedness against God? He, he, he fights, he resists temptation by standing on the grace foundation of his communion with God. How can I do such a thing against the God who, who made me? The God who has brought me into his covenant of grace. It, it makes me think of, we've talked about this in the past, Paul's words to the, the believers in Corinth. When you, there was this issue of professing believers who were going to prostitutes. And do you remember how Paul addressed them? He, he said, do you not know that you are you are members of Christ Jesus. You are, by the grace of God, have been brought into union and communion with Jesus Christ so that what you do in the body, you do in union with Christ. Paul is saying when you go to that prostitute, you take Jesus with you. God is there. And you remember his closing exhortation is, you know, you've been bought with a price. So glorify God with your bodies. Now, fourth, I need to wrap up here just quickly. There's Joseph's retreat. Um, William Still, the mentor of Sinclair Ferguson, has a great little book called uh, Toward Spiritual Maturity. And there's a section in there, <clears throat> excuse me, about the training of a Christian soldier. And remember, there's three stages. And the first stage is um, learning the art of strategic retreat. Learning the art of strategic retreat. Rather than, that's, that's what Joseph does, rather than saying to himself, I've got this. I can, handle to the, I can handle this. Joseph is in fact saying, I can't handle this and I need to get out of here. And you see, dear friends, it's, it's never wise counsel to, to say to ourselves, I can handle this. I can manage this temptation. I won't go that far. Friends, it's actually, it's actually a sign that we've already given up ground if we are telling ourselves that we can handle it. 
Now, once again, if we're, if we're not going to completely despair because of our own failures in the face of temptation, then we need to grasp first that this story directs us to be on the lookout for someone who looks a lot like Joseph here. Where, where is the man who all of his life was tested and proved by God? Surely it's not a single one of us here this morning. Because if we, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we can all think of times we've been tempted and we've not been like Joseph. Actually, we've been more like Judah. Judah in, in chapter 38, who, who willingly, willfully engaged in sexual sin. You see, we are among the people of God who, who need a man who has been tested by God and proven to be a suited savior of guilty sinners. That's what this story is teaching us to be on the lookout for. And when we get to the, the Gospels of the New Testament, what we have set before us is, here is the man. Here is the man of, of God's own choosing, the, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he is tempted in every way, yet without sin. And because he himself suffered, Hebrews tells us, he is able to help those who are tempted. He, he appeared to, to take away sin and to help us in our weakness. And so looking to him, we are strengthened to, to reject temptation, to remember the, the kindness and the generosity of our master to, to resist temptation standing upon the grace foundation of our relationship to God as the most important thing in all of our lives. And to flee, to, to run from temptation when necessary. So what's the, what's the, the takeaway from our sermon, dear friends? I, I hope it's been made clear by now, and if not, it's my fault, but I think the simple message is... Look to Jesus, the man who has been tested and proven and has been used by God to bring about the salvation of weak, guilty, needy sinners. And also look to him for strength, called to walk in his footsteps, to reject temptation, to remember the generosity of your heavenly father in the gospel to stand on the foundation of God has brought me into union and communion with his own beloved son so I'm going to run when the evil one comes to me let's pray our father thank you that we do have a high priest who was tempted in every way as we are yet remain without sin and we thank you that he is able to cleanse us and he is able to strengthen us in our weakness. Father, thank you for the richness of your word. And as we come to the Lord's table together today, we pray that you would work among us to minister grace, comfort, encouragement, and challenge where necessary. We pray all of this in and through Jesus Christ. Amen.